outside, cats and kittens. We're still in quarantine. We're still stay at home. I am sitting here today on the Brando cast with one of the funniest actors in the city of Los Angeles and certainly maybe the funniest actor in the San Fernando Valley. What? You, you've seen her on movies. You've seen her on television. You might know her as the wife of Jack from Jack in the Box. Ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Jillian Vigman. The Valley. Ah. What's it like to be the funniest person in the Valley? Oh my gosh. Uh, I feel as if there are probably super funny people in the Valley and no one knows who they are because they're, they're up in Sunland. <laughs> Is that where the funny people are living these days in Sunland? I, I think they're either in Sunland or Silmar. <laughs> I love Replacing Reseda as the place to be for funny people. Reseda. Oh, great heights. Great heights up there. <laughs> Also joining us today in the background, you're going to hear an Australian cattle dog. His name is Django. He is barking. And if the Amazon delivery shows up in the next, uh, let's say, hour or so, uh, he's going to go bonkers. So I apologize in advance. Uh, that's Django chirping away in the background. How are you, Jillian? You look, so, you look so fashionable. So pretty. I have on my mask for my temporary mask for the quarantine because I walked yes. to a secluded place to... Um, actually do this. So I'm in the back of an ER right now at Exo Urgent Care. Oh, for real? No. You are? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm in one of the tents. Um, they allowed, they, they cleared it out of the patients so that I could record with you. Oh, that's so very nice of them. Oh, it's probably too soon to make such jokes. You're also wearing a very fashionable hat. Uh, that's to cover up my uh, root growth. <laughs> my dark black and silver roots now isn't everyone uh, struggling with the same uh, root problems and uh, hair coloring and uh, i'm getting fat that's my, my issue with this self-quarantine is i am getting progressively fat as each day goes by it's kind of an either or you're either getting fat or there are people who are probably doing like the prison workout uh, that ain't me and right. fuck those people you're I feel like there's either like the Linda Hamiltons. I'm clearly dating myself. <laughs> right. Or there are people who haven't moved. And I also feel like come June, if that's when we get out, that's going to be when every hairdresser, I don't know if that's, by the way, that's such a term like for old people, but like hairdressers, Botox fillers, they're going to be booked. There's going to be, you can't get in until August. In this town. What are, what are those people really called these days? What do the kids call them these days? Are they like uh, <laughs> they are called? I would assume they're called um, cosmetic dermatologist, uh, hair colorist, or stylist. Um, I mean, because people can do therapy online, so it's not that. But it's anything physical that they want done. Although, do you think that super famous people are actually getting their hair colorists to come to their house? Oh, a thousand percent. Of course yeah. they are. Oh, and hell yeah. Even their gynecologists—they're gynecologists. I meant the dermatologists. I, I think gynecologists are making house calls too. <laughs> Man, you'd be so lucky if you live with one. You'd have them checking every day. 
I, I, I'll just say this to the people listening at home. I'll charge 50 bucks for a pap smear and I, and I will be very polite about it. Could I use that for my sourdough starter afterwards? <laughs> Go ahead. Thank you. Are, are you making bread during the, uh, the quarantine? I'll be honest. I do love to cook. And I have a friend who is a chef and she told me, uh, and in a very, it seemed in a very uh, flirty way that she would give me some of her starter and I am going to pick it up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so ashamed of myself because I feel so white and so, uh, hipster when I say that I'm going to make sourdough bread, but I'm going to try, what the fuck else am I going to do? Right. Well, are, you're not working on something. You're not working on a great novel or a script the way that Los Angeles is putting pressure on itself to paint its next masterpiece. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I am. I'm writing Hotel Rwanda 3. As we <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you guys, it's for the family. It's going to be a family adventure. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, good luck with that. Thank you. I'm just working on getting fat. I, and I've said this before, but uh, I'm I, I'm going to be in contention to be a Santa when all this is said and done. I by think the way, that you'll probably be out by late November. So you'll be able to actually like put it into motion. I think that the Fashion Square. I could beat the Fashion Square Santa. I got him. If you ever did that, you would see how gross the Valley really is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you would. I. I I've seen that Santa and it's the same Santa every year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's going to be me. I'm going to take him over. All right. Okay. So here we are today at the Brando cast and what I'm going to do, Jillian Vigman, is I'm going to read you the Wikipedia history of one of your favorite bands and one of my favorite bands. Is it really? Oh, fuck. Yeah. I'm Gen X. And when I was a young dude, all of my babysitters had the record rumors. Yes. By the band Fleetwood Mac, ladies and gentlemen. Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac are a British American rock band originally formed in London way back in 1967. They have sold more than 120 million records worldwide, making them one of the world's best selling bands. They were elected into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1998. And of course, we are listening to the song Go Your Own Way. Fleetwood Mac, very important. I would sing along, but I don't want anyone to hear how I sound. <laughs> it's a sing along. Give me your give me your give me your history, your brief history with Fleetwood Mac. Okay, so I feel so when I was in my brother is nine years older than me. When he went to college, I was in fourth grade, and he gave me a crate of albums. Oh, my God. But he has he has no musical taste, so it's as if he just, he had a collection of music that was the best of everything yeah. that people had told him to buy. So it was everything from Kansas, uh, Led Zeppelin, Houses of the Holy, it was Pink Floyd, it was uh, Fleetwood Mac Rumors, it was... Adam Ant, it was Golden Earring. It was the most, it was also like, what was with Terrapin Station, Grateful Dead. It had every, <laughs> it had Jimmy Cliff. Wow. So it, in some ways, it was a great musical education because I could I could go through it, look at it. And, and like I said, I was born in 72. So obviously the music ranged from early 70s to early 80s. David Bowie changes. It had every, and I love David Bowie, but I was going to say that Fleetwood Mac rumors, even at the time that I started listening to it, I felt this idea of nostalgia. 
I don't know what it is, but there is something both absolutely prescient, prescient, prescient. That's about, a big word. I, I know I'm, I'm using it totally inappropriately, but I think that music of Fleetwood Mac is as powerful as it would be today. Oh my God. I sound like I'm trying to be a DJ, a VJ. <laughs> yes. Just as powerful today as it was back in the, uh, in the day. But I, I think even when I listened to it as a fourth grader, there was a sense of what I didn't know what nostalgia meant. And when I would listen to that, I felt like I was in the back of a station wagon at the way back and I'd want to cry, but with yeah. joy for something that I missed and I didn't understand. And I, I feel like that music encompasses that, especially rumors. Well, uh, I was 10 years old when rumors came out and I want to smack my cattle dog so hard right now. He is yes. really, can you hear him? <laughs> yes, but I think it's, it, it actually makes us feel like there's real life going on. Who gives oh, a shit? Love it. He, he's just, he's just barking at the world right now. Um, no, I was 10 years old when rumors came out and all of my babysitters, cause that was really around that time where the, my parents are not using babysitters anymore, but the hot babies, the two hot babysitters that okay. way we had Kathy King, and my friend John McClain's sister, uh, they everyone had rumors, and it was just everywhere in the air. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania fucking loves rumors. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in New Jersey, and I was in a town called Chatham, New Jersey, also a lover of rumors. Mm-hmm. But also, and I also think that there is something about Nix and uh, Christine McVie that have that look of like the babysitter that you'd also want. The two oh. of them. Well, Stevie Nicks is for sure one of my first celebrity crushes. I mean, not even, it's not even close. Her and Linda Ronstadt are right around that time is when I'm kind of understanding that women are different beings and and I have feelings towards the the hot ones. You know what I mean? Oh my God. Absolutely. And don't you also feel like they were like the two sides of a coin, uh, McVie and Nicks, because Stevie Nicks was like the sexuality and the witchiness and McVie was like just cool. Oh, oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh yeah. He is like, when I like think about people who are cool, I always am like, what would in situations like, what would Christy McVie do? Because I think she is the, you know, instead of Jesus who has just risen, (laughs) but I think that she is the epitome of cool to me. And Stevie Nicks is the epitome of sensuality. Well, it was also, there was also a little Gilligan or there was also a little ginger and Marianne dynamic because they are so different. Christine McVie seemed like the one person in Fleetwood Mac that you could actually hang out with or start a business with, you know, (laughs) let's, you know, we're going to open up a, a, a cool coffee and pastry shop somewhere near Burbank and Colfax. And I want to get in business with my friend, Christine Stevie is the person that you want to like do ayahuasca with maybe. Yeah. You know, like you said, have that spiritual, have a witch experience. Well, she, you know? and she lives above uh, PCH. My favorite story is my friend, uh, uh, Steve, my friend, Steve, uh, my high school girlfriend, Steve, Steve, he'll okay. listen to this later, but he, it's such a long convoluted story, but he ended up staying in her mansion and Stevie Nicks mansion. Yes. She was not there at the time. Uh, it's such a weird story, but I know that he stole a pair of her underwear and I have to say, I was even like, could I get a whiff? (laughs) (laughs) Again, I guarantee it smells like nostalgia. Uh, Or crystals. Oh, Oh, I can smell the tiger eye right now. Or like, or a toad's foot, you know, because maybe, you know, God only knows what kind of spells that Stevie is whipping up in her wonderful 
uh, mansion above the PCH. So let me just say this. Fleetwood Mac was founded. I'm going to give you some nerd history right here. Fleetwood Mac was founded by guitarist Peter Green, guitarist Jeremy Spencer, and drummer Mick Fleetwood. This is back in London in the late 60s. Bassist John McVie completed the lineup for their self-titled debut album, and then Danny Kerwin joined as a third guitarist. Too many guitarists in 1968. Around this time, Fleetwood Mac was primarily a British blues band, and they scored a number one song in the UK with Albatross. And you're listening to Albatross right now. Keyboardist Christine Perfect, that was her name before McVie, uh, contributed as a session musician for the band's second album, and then she married John McVie. Christine officially joined Fleetwood Mac in 1970. A little Fleetwood Mac history for you, as we're going to do throughout the uh, the podcast. Okay, where is Chatham, New Jersey? So Chatham, New Jersey, I guess it would be called uh, Central to North Central New Jersey. It's very close to, it's fairly close to Newark Airport. Fantastic. <laughs> I don't, it's the idea of like when you have to base it on a big city, it's close to New York City. Okay, fair. But it's not like closer to Trenton or Princeton or... No, way closer. It's more like, right, if we're going to go like uh, east or west because of blood, it's more like north versus south. Bird, okay. Not Philadelphia. Okay, got it. I totally understood. Did you have a shore experience? I did, but I was more like, because my family is sort of cheap, uh, I didn't. I had like my super uh, wealthy waspy friends who would go to Bayhead and Maniloking during the summers. Mm-hmm. And I, when I was little, would go to Long Beach Island. LBI. Uh, I, I had a, we had a little uh, LBI experience because my, my father lives in the city of Philadelphia. And oh, yes. we used to have a place in Avalon and Stone Harbor. Oh, you did? But, but for two different summers, he had a place in Long Beach Island. So we did that little Long Beach Island, you know, uh, most weekends uh, in the summer. That was like 19. Good God. I can't, I can't even handle the, even the, the passage of time. It was like 1998 to 1999. I mean, I just, I don't even, I'm so old now. It's such a drag. Fat and old. It's really, it's really a struggle for me, Jillian. I'm just going to take a time out for my own podcast to tell you, like, well, I'm struggling about, with fat and age. How about this? How about in the quarantine age, when everyone wants to Zoom, mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't want to look at my own face. No, like, <laughs> no, no. I'm watching it fall upon itself like an apple core. <laughs> I'm covering my neck right now because I look like those old women that you see at Gelson's who drive like the Mercedes that only have 3000 miles on them. <laughs> <laughs> they hang out in Gelson's for like three hours and they right. walk around. Oh, look, they have Mott's on sale. I'll buy that. Oh, hi, Jose. How are the mangoes? I'll take three. Like that's going to be me in a year. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm here at Santa. I've, I'm also dangerously close to, I will say this. My dog is racist against hobos. He doesn't like hobos. And if we're out walking and we pass someone ambling around my little section of the valley, he growls. And yeah. I think he's starting to look at me like, oh, you're, <laughs> you're turning into one of them. I don't know how I feel about you right now. <laughs> yeah, because I haven't I haven't shaved. There's like some facial. It's not really facial hair. It's just like it's just laziness. It's self-quarantine laziness. Well, do you think it's going to change much, much after this is over? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I honestly, I haven't, I used to play basketball at the Hollywood Y. That was my big thing. Yeah. And, uh, that's gone. So like a giant chunk of my exercise is just out the window right now. 
we're so going to, I don't know what, what it's going to be when it, uh, long walks from far away from each other to, and yeah. from, all through the Valley. Well, we, we are, you know, I'll just say this to the people listening at home, uh, including my aunt Jean in Hudson, Ohio, uh, that you and I are, are, I have known who you are for a long, long time because we have so many mutual friends. You've also worked with so many people that I know, but you and I are just getting to know each other now. Yes. And it was quite wonderful when you did the social distancing walk over to my place to drop off some supplies for uh, me and the uh, individual that I'm currently seeing. And one of those items that you dropped off for us was hummus. Oh. And it was, you need to get that hummus, Jillian Vigman's hummus, in the stores. I, I would love to. Can I tell you something? Uh, I, I take that. I can. You know what I'll do? I'll tell you the recipe later, and you can put it on the bottom of this podcast. <laughs> I, I love. I do love to cook, and it is. It brings. It, this is the one time since we're all inside. I've been doing a lot of it, and it is a goddamn blessing. Is there a curveball in your hummus? Is there a secret ingredient that I? Yeah, I'll tell you what it is. And it's really, it's really genius. And it's, um, I got it's a, it, by the way, I'm not giving away something that a lot of people don't know. If you take the, if you're using canned beans, you boil them for 20 minutes with cornstarch. Did you just get excited? That's the twist. You boil yes, it. With- what it does is it takes the skins off the, the actual beans so when you remove the skins, it makes it smoother and it's so fucking good. They also, when you put the garlic in and so it's, it's not too intense, you put it in the lemon first to sort of mellow for like 10 minutes. This is, I love that. I'm trying to treat this like uh, the splendid table. <laughs> can I call you Francis lamb? <laughs> you you know can call me. What, uh, whatever you, I'm very good at being Tim Gunn, but I'm going to have to put a little food hat on. Hi, Jillian. Uh, no, but but that is that I I I didn't know that the little cornstarch trick. A cornstarch boil down, and you can take all the skins off that that bean, and it's goddamn good. Oh wait, you have to take the the skins off the you individual bean. I will go out of my way once it's boiled to remove all those. Um, uh, there are sort of like uh, clear, translucent skins that kind of come yeah. off boil them mm-hmm. and I'll take them out once, once they're off. Like you could just leave them on and just grind it up, but I like to remove them fully. I like a full nude. I like a nude chickpea. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, so great. but let me tell you, it is the best way to make hummus. It's so goddamn good. So I'm, well, cool. it was tremendous. And I will say this, that I, 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 I almost ate the entire thing by myself. I felt bad. There's more to come. Okay. Well, that's, uh, I, I hope that that's a, a bit of a promise because it that was tremendous, bolognese, which I dropped off to the other person's house, another individual. <laughs> I heard that, that you made bolognese. What would you say? What is your top? What is the top item that you could make? for loved ones, friends, family, whatever. What is your signature dish? It's a great, I would say I make, uh, I like to make homemade uh, chicken pot pies. No, nice. If that's what you're trying to get at, I'll get, I'll make those for you. You got to make a homemade dough. Don't give me any bullshit. Don't Sandra D me with this piece of shit, white trash, roll out dough. You're gross. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see the Vermont 
bed and breakfast lesbian and you come out and make a <laughs> I like things from scratch. I'm going to make this starter dough and I'm going to make you a sourdough loaf. Let me admit something to you Please. before I, I continue to read some Fleetwood Mac history. Please. Uh, before the quarantine went down. Yes. I will admit that I went and I did some sort of down and dirty quarantine supply buying yes. at the, at the 99 cent store on Lancashire uh, near Moore park. Yes. Okay. Just like cleaning supplies, canned goods, whatnot. And I bought the don't, don't hate me for this two banquet pot pies. And they are filled with Buffalo chicken and Mac and cheese. <laughs> I, I'm not, I can't. I don't, why don't you I know. Just, it's, you know that hobo around the corner? Why don't you have him throw up and shit into a pot and then put that dough on top and cook it? I am so insulted by you. <laughs> so insulted. I'm sorry. I, 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 I will never eat them. I, I thought the world was going to blow up. Why don't it's, you my, take, it's my apocalypse of food. <laughs> why don't you take a, a, a chicken cover it in other people's gravy and then put a diaper on top and cook it. It's that, that's, that's, <laughs> and then cut into that and let and see what Django does. Django <laughs> Listen, I sound like Gwyneth Paltrow because she has a cookbook, you know, at one point she's talks about homemade broths and she said, if you don't make your own broth, you're insipid. And I thought, <laughs> It was so like Marie Antoinette let them eat cake, but I have to admit a homemade broth. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, Gwynny. All right. The early seventies, the early seventies oh. proved to be a tumultuous time for Fleetwood Mac. Yes. All three of the original guitarists left in succession during this period because it was wild and woolly. They were replaced by guitarists, Bob Welsh and Bob Weston and vocalist Dave Walker. Yes. During the 1973 U.S. tour to promote the album Mystery to Me, Bob Weston had an affair with Mick Fleetwood's wife, Jenny Boyd Fleetwood. She was a sister of Patty Boyd. Fleetwood was emotionally devastated by this and could not continue with the tour. By 1975, Weston, Walker, and Welsh, Bob Welsh, had either departed from the band or been dismissed, leaving the band without a male lead singer or a guitarist. The end of the band seemed nigh, and we are playing the Bob Welsh song, Hypnotized, which is actually one of my favorite yeah. Fleetwood Mac songs, Hypnotized. Do you like this era, Fleetwood Mac? You know, I will admit, I, I went... I knew the the newer flute, the newer Fleetwood Mac, and uh, like a typical basic bitch, I started with the newer and then I went backwards. Yes, and I do like it. I think what I find so interesting is that whole. It, I mean, it was like two different bands. The idea of this bluesy, because we know that Peter Green and all those guys came from a blues background, and then once they bring in, which I know you're going to get to, but once they start bringing in the influences of Lindsey Buckingham. Uh, to the band, it changes into this poppy, or at the time, uh, more pop or popular cultured music. And it's such an interesting thing to see the influence of like the John McVie kind of come through all the way. But I like it. I still like the newer Mac Fleetwood Mac better. I, and I feel like such a dick saying that. It's like 
when people say how much they like Wayne Coyne in the newer version versus old Wayne, I don't know if that makes any sense. I'm a little bit of one of those basic, basic assholes who likes the newer stuff. Oh, I, well, I'm a music snob, so I, 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 I can snob all day on all kinds of different bands. I mean, that's what I do. I'm not a musician, but I'm as far uh, of a music nerd as you can get without being a musician. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. You're like uh, Gary Delabate on Howard Stern. <laughs> I am John Cusack's character in High Fidelity, actually. Yes. Oh, my God. The Nick Hornsby. Absolutely. I understand what you mean 100%. Yeah, the Nick Horn. Yeah, the Nick Hornby book. I, yes, that that is who I am, and that's how I see the world. I just don't have that switch in my brain that wants to be a musician. I can I, I confront bands. I've done that many times. Yeah. I've actually uh, performed at Largo way back in the day with your husband when I used to do Greg Barron's "Bring the Rock," and the way that that show uh, worked was uh, comics would get up and tell a story uh, about a theme that Greg would pick. And then a band, the band behind them, the backing band would play a song inspired by that set. Uh, and I got to do both. I got to tell a story yeah. and then sing with the band. And your husband uh, was the guitarist in that band. That's right. I, I did a couple of things with them. Electric snowflakes. And as a matter of fact, I met Dave through uh, drummer Mark Rivers. The legendary Mark Rivers. The legendary Mark Rivers of the Cave Dogs in Boston uh, of, of that. Look, because Greg Barron knew all of those Bostonians. Right. That was his gang. So that's how. So you were friends with Mark Rivers. Yep. And then he turned around and in- introduced you to, to Dave. Did you just hit your dog? And I threw a wallet at him. <laughs> I Is threw a wallet at him. He's I not even in the same room. He's not even in the same room. Um, you're the worst. I was going to say that Mark's wife, Kristen, now wife, Kristen, but his girlfriend, Kristen, was like, you should meet this guy, Dave Gibbs. He plays with Mark. Wow. And Nina Gordon and Nina's your husband at the time, Jeff Russo. Yep. They all played in the electric snowflakes. And so that's how I met Dave was, was through Kristen and Mark. And enjoying immensely watching all of Greg Barron's shows, all the Bring the Rocks. They're, and they're very much like what you're doing now, which is so, it's very cool. Well, the, I got to do, the, I did a, uh, I made uh, Mark and your husband play an Iron Maiden song, Rothschild, one time. And then another time we did Judas Priest uh, Breaking the Law. Love. And then another time we did uh, Paranoid by Black Sabbath on, you know- on three different nights. It was, I, you know, they, I know that they've attempted to make that into a television show. Yeah. I wonder if it really is best live because it is, it is pretty much, I hope they can continue to do that show on and off because it's one of the funniest and most uh, inspirational and aspirational shows I've seen in a long time. Now, Dave, back to your music nerd, nerd stuff. He is a trip music trivia dork. Okay. With love. Like he, he can go down into the minutia of any band. So even if I like a band, he'll ruin it for me because he will take it to the 18th level that I have no idea. And he'll even go like, Oh, you know, Peter green was this guy that so many of my friends were inspired by. And I'm, I know nothing. I know nothing about the way he does. Well, musicians are different. They are different. They, their brains work differently than the rest of us. They yes. just are. I'm convinced of that. 
Like they, they, they just, they see the world in a different way. They hear things in a different way and all of the music history and theory that it means a different thing to them. So, and, and, which I, I, I love, yeah. ne- by the way, Nina Gordon, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, Nina was very much a part of my karaoke crowd. Oh really? Where, where we would roam the city. Oh yeah. Looking for uh, karaoke bars to go to. And I've talked about that on this podcast many times. People are sick of hearing about it, but there was the scene at the farmer's market. And then there was the scene at the brass monkey. And then there was a scene at Sardo's and Burbank. And Nina was very much a part of my little group that I would put together every week to go sing. Oh, that's And, and watching Nina Gordon sing Pat Benatar's shadows of the night is one of the greatest things ever. Uh, and what about when she sings uh, Straight Outta Compton? <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen her sing Straight Outta Compton. Can she do that? Yeah, but she does it in a Nina Gordon-esque fashion. It's very much like Straight Outta Compton. Like I- <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Speaking of beautiful. Yes. Let's get into this. After Bob Welch announced that he was leaving the band, Mick Fleetwood began searching for a replacement. Here we go, nerds. While Mick Fleetwood was checking out Sound City Studios in L.A., the house engineer played him a track from Buckingham Nicks, an album he'd recorded in the studio. Fleetwood liked it and was quickly introduced to Buckingham, who was at Sound City recording demos. Fleetwood asked him to join Fleetwood Mac, and Buckingham agreed on the condition that his music partner and girlfriend joined too. Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks joined the band on December 31st, 1974. In July of 1975, the new lineup released another self-titled album, which was actually Fleetwood Mac's 10th studio record. It was a smash for the band and reached number one in the U.S., selling over 7 million copies. Among the hit singles on that album were Over My Head, Say You Love Me, and the Stevie Nicks song about a Welsh witch, which we are listening to right now, called Rhiannon. You have a daughter. Why didn't you guys name her Rhiannon? Um, <laughs> well, I wanted to name her Monday Mornings. Is that weird? <laughs> no, no. No, no. You can get away with that here in L.A. I name her Perfect, Christine oh. Perfect Gibbs. But it didn't work out. Um, I, can I also add one thing to? I keep trying to picture this meeting of Lindsey Buckingham, and they say that they met at some unspecified Mexican restaurant. Do you think it was El Coyote or Casa Vega? Because they say it was some famous Mexican restaurant. I think that that is a tremendous question, and I'm going to go with. I, I love that because this is this is what I love about LA. Yeah, I am going to go with Lucy's El Adobe, only because at that period of time in the mid seventies, Lucy's El Adobe was the place to be for rockers. That is where Linda Ronstadt met Governor Jerry Brown and started dating him at Lucy's and fu- and and fu- she fucking. just made a lot of fucking, and they were introduced basically by the family that owned Lucy's El Adobe. No way. And there's another great photo of Linda Ronstadt, fucking Ron Wood from the Rolling Stones, and Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin having dinner at Lucy's. So I'm going to go with Lucy's. And I love El Coyote. 
I would like, I would love it if it was El Cholo on Western. I would be <laughs> equally as happy if it was El Compadre on Sunset, but I'm going to go, go ahead. One more question. Now yes. it's, it's since departed, but what's the place in Los Feliz that had the big picture of Dolly part? El Chavo. El Chavo. Remember that was amazing. And I love that because it wasn't that Dolly's favorite place. They always quoted saying that she would go there. It's a true crime. It's a true crime against the way that this city is flipping and gentrifying and getting rid of the old that El Chavo and Los Feliz is gone. Cause that was one of my favorite. That was one of my go-to cause I love a down and dirty gringo yeah. style Mexican food where you just get good margaritas and you get the combo plate and you're happy. Um, yeah. El Chavo was, El Chavo Chavo was my favorite of the bunch. And you don't, you love that there's cockroaches everywhere, but it's so dark in there. You'll never know. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that place was a... The, El Chavo was a biohazard. El Compadre on Sunset is a biohazard. Oh, and and can you imagine what's happening underneath El Coyote? I mean, please. Well, also we know, uh, Valley residents, that Casa Vega had to close its doors for a little while with a C in the window because they had fucking rats. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go there. Homemade no, Buddy, homemade broth. Is that right? Otherwise, otherwise it's insipid. It's insipid. <laughs> Thank you, Gwyneth. Thank you. Um, I want when you when we start talking about when Lindsey Buckingham joins the band with Stevie Nicks. This is when it becomes the most delicious night soap that one can imagine. Yes. Well, when because we're gonna, well, I might as well jump into it because we're going to talk about it. Because when you go mid seventies and you go success. And then you bring in the cocaine. Well, that's when things are going to get real fun. In 1976, the band was suffering from severe stress due to success. With success came the end of John and Christine McVie's marriage, as well as the end of Buckingham and Nick's long-term romantic relationship. Mick Fleetwood, meanwhile, was in the midst of, his, of a divorce from his wife, Jenny. And the pressure on Fleetwood Mac to deliver another successful record was huge on the band. Combined with their newfound wealth, it led to creative and personal tensions, which were allegedly fueled by high consumption of Coke and booze. For sure. Can you imagine? In that atmosphere, ladies and gentlemen, Rumors was released in the spring of 1977, an album that laid bare the emotional turmoil the band was experiencing at the time. Rumors was a monster and won the Grammy Award for Album of the Year in 77. It generated multiple top 10 singles, Go Your Own Way, Dreams, Don't Stop, and You Make Loving Fun. By 2003, Rumors had sold over 19 million copies in the U.S. alone and 40 million copies worldwide, bringing it to the eighth on the list of best-selling albums of all time. Fleetwood Mac supported the record with a huge tour. And we are listening to, of course, You Make Loving Fun. Jillian, I have long said that the first 500 copies of Rumors came with an eight ball. <laughs> I, don't know if that, I don't know if that's true, but... If they did come with an eight ball, would it be blown up my asshole? Because it's not <laughs> one of the many rumors uh, that, that goes swirls around with Stevie Nicks that she... Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. The cartilage in her nose was so destroyed by cocaine that she had somebody that would blow cocaine up her asshole. Like an assistant? Yeah. Like, but who wouldn't want to do that? (laughs) I feel like everybody we know would want to blow cocaine up her asshole. Oh my God. Wouldn't you? 
I yeah. would. I would. I yes. totally, totally would. Yes. I probably could name like, For free. I, of course. I, I could name like probably 20 people I'd blow cocaine up their assholes for free. Oh, my God. Right? Yes. One of them, by the way, is Gavin Newsom because he's okay. doing a great job. <laughs> okay. With the, with the, with the, with the coronavirus. <laughs> so, Gavin, if you're listening to this, you're doing a tremendous job. And there is someone, there's a, a citizen and a voter who's uh-huh. willing to, to blow coke up, up your butt. Just for fun. It's been, I know how stressful it's been out there for you. And if you need someone to put their mouth on a straw, not touch <laughs> So we'd still be far enough away from one another. You could wear a mask and I would just get it right up your butt and you would feel <laughs> and then you could give another press conference. And you'd be great. So let so let's go over the fact that it was a pressure cooker situation for rumors and it created what we would consider some of there isn't a there isn't a clunker on that album. Nope. No, nope. no, it's not. And, and it, it is a seminal, it is it is the kind of record that every band wants to make. Yes. And uh, isn't it sad that it takes this much, it takes so much heartache and pain to make that much great music. Well, and not, not listed in my, my weird little Wikipedia notes here is that also Mick Fleetwood and Lindsay had, or no, Mick Fleetwood and Stevie Nicks had a little fling during this period of time. Yeah. Fuck. Yes. They fucked. They fucked too. Yes. <laughs> and that's, and that, I, I, I would, when I learned that fact as like a kid, Jerry Brown fucked them too. do you think Jerry Brown and Linda Ronstadt came over and fucked them as well? <laughs> maybe, maybe Jerry and Linda came over to blow some Coke up some butts. <laughs> I think that that's everything is in play now, especially if they're at Lucy, Lucy's El Adobe hanging out, right. doing some Coke on the tables, going in the bathroom to get Absolutely. some Coke up some butts. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Wait, <laughs> but I, Yes. I, I remember as a kid, uh, as an Irish Catholic boy from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and hearing the first time I heard that Mick Fleetwood had a thing with Stevie Nicks because young Brendan Smith wanted Lindsay and Stevie to go the distance. Yes. You, you know, like for some reason, like celebrity couples, you want some celebrity couples to go the distance. I wanted them to go the distance. They didn't go the distance. And when wow. I heard that Mick Fleetwood hooked up with Stevie, he's so goddamn tall and thin. And she's such a little elf witch that I just couldn't see the I couldn't see the the phys, the gymnastics that it would take to to you know what I mean like yeah, oh, yeah. as someone who is not that tall and I've slept with really tall guys <laughs> you're basically just staring into their breasts oh god oh god <laughs> she was probably on top a lot let's be honest uh, and and you know now uh, Mick Fleetwood is kind of a, he looks like an an elegant elder British statesman, but back in the seventies, he was like a hobbit, like a, or like he That's, Gandalf from, from Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? He was, right. He was like a fucked up looking Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Cause like you're saying this and right. Don't you love that? You love their music so much. And you start thinking about what they're like in studio, what they were like with each other, how they would fuck and they do all their stuff. And we also know that Lindsay Buckingham, as much as a musical genius as he is, but he's sort of um, cock blocked McVie and, and, uh, and also uh, Fleetwood. He took over in a lot of ways. When we're going to get into that, we're around in the corner here. Okay. So we know that rumors is a giant hit. Yes. Lindsay Buckingham convinced Fleetwood to let 
his work on their next record be more experimental and to be allowed to work on tracks at home before bringing them to the rest of the band. The result of Lindsay's experimentation was Tusk, a double album released in 1979. It produced three hit singles, Tusk, which featured the USC Trojan Marching Band, Christine McVie's Think About Me, and Stevie Nicks' Sarah, which we are listening to right now. The band embarked on an 11-month world tour to support the record. However, Tusk only sold 4 million copies. Uh-oh. And, and the dysfunction is still going on in the band. Right. And we also know that, like, I, if we're not, if I'm not uh, mistaken... McVie and Buckingham nearly came to fisticuffs. Uh, and also Stevie and uh, uh, Lindsay. Uh, there, there may have been some some, uh, some abuse going on in that situation, yeah. too. Yes. Well, and you know, artists are crazy. Artists, yes yeah. or no, artists are crazy. You know, it's so funny you say that because I'll tell you, I sometimes wish I was more of an artist than I am because I do have to say that artists are the ones, their work might be crazy out of the world and also might be right on what you want but they when you're not an artist like i feel like i'm more of like a workhorse slash practical person and it will i will never create the way people i know who are true artists do okay that's that's amazing to hear that from you and i'm going to take a little serious tone here because i i would i think of you as a total artist because if you look at the body of your work which i'm familiar with you have executed your art time and time again you also have a strong improv background correct i yes i've enjoyed i worked i lived in chicago for many years so you did you rise through the ranks at Second City? Did you get to the main stage? Uh, you know what? No, I left before I was uh, even going to be potentially. I, I don't even know if I would have made it, but I I toured with Second City. I studied on main stage. I got to understudy Tammy Sager, and who's amazing. I know uh, Tammy. Wonderful, and I got to perform with so many amazing people that's you know it, honestly give, I think, give me some give me some of those people give me some give me okay, give me so your yeah. crew at second city okay when i when i toured i worked with uh jack mcbrayer yep and uh, peter gross and jason sudeikis um trying to think of people like you know what's so sad about it in general like isn't it funny that it's hard to find the women uh, I'm trying to think of the women we know that are, I, I had the, I've been so lucky as to be taught by Tina Fey, which was, she was an excellent teacher. I also got to, uh, when I was understudying Tammy Fey, or Tammy Fey, when I was understudying Tammy Fey Baker yeah. uh, on, the, on the Christian route, it was so much fun. I love yeah. Jesus. <laughs> when I was understudying Tammy Sager, I got to then watch and see how Steph, Stephanie Weir worked and Dylan worked and I was so inspired by these women in general. And Susan Essing was a, a director of mine. Uh, Craig Kukowski was a director of mine. Look, a lot of the people that you knew because you went to Northwestern, I got to either watch perform or get to perform with. And it was a, what a way to kind of get your chops up and learn about the, uh, about performance. I've said I, this many times on this podcast, the, 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 the collection of people yep. that were in Chicago 
and I w- I'll put this from the late 80s to the late 90s. Yep. They never stop, but that chunk of time is ridiculous. And it really is the foundation of American comedy in television and movies. It's everybody. It's writers, it's directors, it's performers, all getting together at Second City, at Improv Olympic, yes. doing shows at The Annoyance. Yes. Uh, m- maybe some people occasionally get to do a show at Steppenwolf or Remains or whatever, but the comic <laughs> talent that was like cross-pollinating is it's bonkers. It's truly bonkers. I, I, and I, like an idiot, came to L.A. in 1990 rather than stay in Chicago and do what some of my other friends were doing. Right. I get it. But like, you know what I mean? They all ultimately ended up out here. Some of them right. in New York, but mostly everyone's here. And I think what's so great is that it was such a great foundation of friends. So when I finally did move out here, I moved out here in 2002. I was so lucky, as lonely as it feels no matter what, when you first move out here, I felt so lucky to have this uh, rich history of friends from from Chicago. And even people I didn't know as well in Chicago, like the Rose Abdus, Renee Albert, and um, uh, let's see, I was thinking of, oh, let me think, Tracy Thorpe and Teresa Mulligan, all these people that I didn't know there, I got to know here, but you kind of had this calling card with Second City. Another person that was was very kind to me was Jim Belushi. <laughs> For real? Yeah, because he's he's kind of known as he can be kind of a tough guy, but when he meets people that are Second City uh alumni or whatever you'd call it, much kinder. I like to hear that. Yeah, it's I mean it sounds so weird. And I also feel like I would feel just as comfortable going up to say who I don't know, but if I walked up to Jane Lynch, I could feel comfortable saying, "Hey, I worked at Second City," and she would be far more open to talk to me. Well, it's the shared experience that people have also living in the same apartments, living in the same neighborhoods in Chicago. I my friends and I from school when we moved out here, we had the house uh, in Hollywood, we lived in a craftsman home near Fountain in Fairfax. Yeah. And, and for many years, our house was the place that people would crash for pilot season. That's uh, where every year. That's how actually how I met Nina Gordon, because one of her great high school friends lived with us for a number of months in the uh, mid nineties. And um, so uh, my, my world in, in Los Angeles was heavy Chicago. I mean, it was almost all Chicago people. Because, as you said, everyone eventually comes out here, which is amazing. Yeah, it is. And it also helped, uh, speaking of, I know you're a good Irish Catholic boy, and my my kids, I'm a Jew, but my husband's Catholic. Yeah. And when we, uh, we're not very rich, but we're not super broke, but we didn't like the um, the schools having issues, the public school in our area, Valley. So we <laughs> had, and I'm a sh- this is a shout out to St. Francis de Sales. The official school of Chicago improvisers and their children. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. I know St. Francis. Yeah. I I use, I use my Chicago. I asked everybody who had gone through improv Olympic and second city. I was like, listen to me. What's this like? I want to send my kids here. Will you help me? And they did. They They really should have an audition to get into St. Francis. You have to, you should have to do a a Herald with some of your other five and six year old friends to get in there. I mean that, cause that's what's going on there. Or if you can, uh, if you have the best insults about Pete Holney. (laughs) <laughs> well, I play basketball with Peter Holney, so that's. I, I wish that I could down. I, I wish I could download into your brain uh, Pete Holney fighting with other basketball players. All right, Mirage was released in 1982 after the disappointment of the slightly experimental Tusk. 
Fleetwood Mac went back to a more conventional record-making approach. They had two more big hits on Mirage with Christine McVie's Hold Me and Stevie Nicks' Gypsy. The band went on hiatus following the Mirage tour, which allowed members to pursue or to pursue solo careers so Stevie could you know, record One Wing Dove or oh. Edge, of, Edge of 17. The classic lineup recorded one more record together. That was 1987's Tango in the Night. The album went on to become one of their best-selling releases since Rumors and contained four hits, Little Lies, Everywhere, Seven Wonders, and Big Love. Let's round this out. With a 10-week tour schedule, Lindsey Buckingham held back at the last minute, saying he felt his creativity was being stifled. A group meeting at Christine McVie's house in August of 1987 resulted in more turmoil. Mick Fleetwood said in his autobiography that there was a physical altercation between Buckingham and Nicks, and Buckingham left the band the following day. After Buckingham's departure, Fleetwood Mac added two new guitarists to the band, Billy Burnett and Rick Vito, and this was effectively the end of the classic Fleetwood Mac era. I am not going to bore you, Jillian, with the history of Fleetwood Mac since then, uh, which contains uh, more twists and turns. I could do another yeah. hour just on that. It's like Lindsay. Dallas. It's like it's Dallas. like Dallas. Well, it's like people coming back to the band, people leaving the band. Lindsay yes. coming back to the band, Lindsay leaving the band. Christine McVie taking a big time out, coming back yep. to the band. Yep. And then, and then, did you see? Did you guys go to the last tour? Did you go see Fleetwood Mac on the last tour? I have to tell you something. Um, when Dave and I talk about sadness, we talk about the fact that we missed it. I, and I and I don't know why I did either, because I'm the guy who goes to every show. I get to go to every show, and and for some reason I didn't, and I'm it's it's I regret it because they added uh, uh, Neil Flynn from Neil, Neil Flynn? Flynn from 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 Crowded they Cat. added they add, they added Neil Flynn from Second City. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they added Neil Flynn from uh, of course Scrubs and. Uh, the middle, uh, he joined the band. No, he didn't. He, he, he wouldn't. He wouldn't leave. I'm not going to leave my house to join Fleetwood Mac. Uh, <laughs> and then Abby says, "You should. You should go." Oh, are they together right now? Oh wait, I, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask. Oh God, I, I'm, I, I've just taken. I've just turned the truck down a very dark alley. I'm going to back the truck up, and I'm going to get us back on track by saying once again, "I'm sad I didn't see that show." Because yes. also Mike Campbell from. Yes. Uh, Tom Petty is in the band and I'm sure they were tremendous. And I think they actually sang, uh, Hey now, Hey now, don't dream it. I think they did that as the Fleetwood Mac band. So I would have liked to have seen that. And also like a shout out. I love the Finn brothers so much. I love Neil. Finn. I love crowded house. That would have been another choice, but I know we can't go there right now. I, I love Pat Finn. <laughs> Also, also at, at St. Francis. Thanks. I, I, I'm well aware. Oh, hey, thanks, Jillian. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, wow. Jillian, yes. we, you and I have been talking for 50 minutes. Did you get bored? I just got bored with you. I'm sorry. Okay. I, yeah, I'm done with you. Can I, wait, can I ask a couple of questions real quick? Please, go, go. Hit me with everything. I want to ask some, some stupid Fleetwood Mac questions. Do you think that Lindsey Buckingham, for all his talent, do you think he's a pain in the ass? Okay, I'm going to give you my Lindsey Buckingham story, which I told on this podcast before, but I'm going to tell you again. I'm sorry I actually, that I, I didn't hear that one. I actually think he's a, a decent guy. He's probably crazy because he's an artist. However, in 1993, yep, 
my greatest friend in the world, Betsy Thomas, wrote a play called Choices, and it was about uh, it was about abortion. I was in the play, and Heish was in the play. She was a friend of my peer group, a friend of mine, and a friend of ours. She was dating Lindsay Buckingham. We did this play at a little teeny theater on Coenga and the 101 freeway. There's like a big old building right there. And there used to be a theater in the bottom of it. Yeah. Like a 20 seat theater. After the play was over, everyone came back to our house because our house was also the house that everyone hung out at after plays at the actors gang or plays wherever everyone came to our house. Lindsay Buckingham in our house. On Fountain in Fairfax, 1339 North Ogden Drive. Somehow, Lindsay Buckingham ends up in Brendan Smith's room. No. Which is covered in Iron Maiden posters, including yeah. a, a six-foot tour poster from Europe from like the 1988 tour. And we smoked Lindsay Buckingham's pro-weed, which was then not legal in the state of California. But someone like Lindsay Buckingham is smoking the top weed in the world. And we sat on my bed, just the two of us, Anne wasn't even there. And I basically, because I was high on pro Lindsey Buckingham weed, I basically presented him with the history of Iron Maiden as I'm pointing to the different posters on my wall. And he was gracious. He, he, he did not, for one reason or another, he did not get up and flee. I think because I did a decent job in the play and I wasn't like some schmuck. You know what I mean? Like there was a reason that he was there and he was really into Anne. And it, it's an experience that I will never forget because it actually fucking happened. Yeah. You have changed my whole outlook on Lindsay Buckingham. Right. I literally said, so, you know, Maiden is really big all around the world. They don't even have to be big in America because the radio stations won't play them here. They can go to South America. They can go to Asia, Japan, all over Europe. I mean, where they're so huge. So, yeah, it was it was amazing. And I'm sure he was like, what the fuck? That is great. Yeah. Yeah. So he was very, he was very, but I'm sure, I'm sure he's bonkers. You know, I'm sure he's complicated and, you know, he's a musician and musicians are crazy as you well know, cause you're married to one. Yeah. Oh, but Dave's, but Dave's a sweetheart. You'll, you'll have to, you'll, you'll get your piece soon enough on him. But, uh. I, I hope so. Because I hope when all this is said and done, we can have some hummus, uh, in your, uh, wonderful home. We can break pita together. It'll be wonderful. <laughs> well, also, may I say that your husband has a, a couple wonderful restaurants, uh, oh. around the Valley area. Yes. Uh, Mirabelle being one of them. Well, so uh, uh, if we're going to shout out right now, I'm sitting in the back of his uh, one of his wine bars, Augustine Wine Bar, which is on Ventura. But he has a private uh, party room in the back, which I'm sitting in, called 1946, which you can rent out. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they've got an amazing selection of wine here, plus vintage wine. So if you felt like trying a 1962. Chardonnay from Chambertin, you could because okay. they might have it on their chalkboard once this is all lifted. The social distancing is listed, lifted. But Mirabelle, as you had mentioned, which is at Burbank and Witsit, also uh, kind of like the little sister bar to Augustine. Um, on top of that, he has a sushi restaurant that we miss so dearly right now called uh, Sushi Note. Yeah. Uh, as in a note that is written or a musical note, uh, which is across the street from Augustine. And lastly, yes, he has a roll bar, like a sushi roll bar that is sort of an offshoot of sushi note, 
um, in Los Feliz called Sogo. And let's hope that stays alive after this quarantine ends. And that is right next to Go Get Em Tiger on, um, on Hollywood it? Boulevard. Yep. Yep. Now, who? Uh, let me ask you something. Are, are all these places open so people can maybe go and give some love to these restaurants during the quarantine? No. Unfortunately, uh, if you're interested in buying wine to be picked up or dropped off, you can go to mirabelletogo.com. I love it. That's yep. fantastic. Mirabelletogo.com for great when, wine. Yes. And honestly, when they, hopefully when this is all over, I, and I say this, I am biased, obviously, but I have to say the food at Augustine and Mirabelle and Sushi Note and Sogo is, I would, I would be a happy person just to go to those restaurants and nowhere else. I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right, Jillian, I want to thank you from thank the bottom you. of my heart for doing this. It's so, I, I wish that we could be together in a fun little studio, but the doing it via Squadcast is the next best thing. Yeah. I also want to say, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, uh, Brandon, thank you. Can we call you Briannon? Bri you can call me Briannon. Briannon. I like that. I like it. It sounds good. I also want to say thanks to all of you who have stuck with the BrandoCast during the quarantine. We're building. We're slowly building. So click, subscribe, enjoy. Tell your friends. Also, we are free always, but if you want to kick in a couple bucks via Patreon, it's Patreon.com backslash a black sab 67 if you are so inclined. But again, Jillian, you're the greatest. We're playing out with some more Fleetwood Mac. And uh, I hope that you and I can do this uh, in person one day when this nightmare is over. It would be a dream. I'm begging. Okay. You're the greatest. Thank All right, you. cats and kittens, until next time. Thank you.